and welcome to a long overdue new episode of Chart of Fortune, the astrology podcast where I look at the birth charts of the moments and things that made pop culture. I'm your host, Elise Blaylock, and I've missed you. It's been over a month since there's been a new episode of this podcast, and while this absence was not planned, it was unfortunately very necessary. It will spare you the boring details, but suffice it to say, I needed to take a step back. I'm planning to have a few more episodes through the end of the year. I've missed researching and recording, and it's good to be back behind the mic. When this episode airs, it will be Thanksgiving in the United States, and this year, we're in an awkward moment. Last year, we had plenty of excuses to avoid family get-togethers, but now the pressure is back on to gather around and yell at people who are seated nowhere near you. Last year, arguing with Uncle Frank or getting drunk in your hometown were replaced by arguing with whoever was in your quarantine bubble and getting drunk, no need to travel or even wait till noon. But this year, we have to remember how to make conversation or not use our shirt as a, quote, makeshift bib because apparently doing that after the age of four is no longer socially acceptable. I know, it sounds like you're telling me I can't spend all day in my pajamas perfecting my Lady Gaga from House of Gucci accent while only eating rolls and mashed potatoes. And if that's the case, I'm going to need to at least drink wine and still do the Lady Gaga impression. Father, son, and chart of fortune. But if we're being honest, Thanksgiving has always been a complicated holiday because it involves a lot of juggling of oven space, and also because it patently ignores the realities of the United States' violent colonial past. Here at Chart of Fortune HQ, I've started a podcast tradition of covering a less-than-functional reality TV show family for Thanksgiving. If you need an extra helping of dysfunctional family astrology, then do yourself a favor and check out my Living Lohan episode from November of last year. I don't want to say it slaps, because that would be incredibly biased of me. But hey, if you're staring down a full day of aunts and uncles asking when you're going to start dating someone serious, get married, get a real job, have a baby, or why it is that you, okay me, have an astrology podcast that they hate listen to, you may need a little escape. You can run into the soothing tones of an astrological overview of Living Lohan and even blast some Allie Lohan holiday jams because if I've learned anything in this life, it's that any day can be a Lohan holiday. So this year, if you're sitting down to a Thanksgiving meal with friends or family, or you just need a friendly reminder that pretty much everyone is terrible, I will spend this episode venerating a family that is almost assured to have more skeletons in their Louis Vuitton adorned closets than your nearest and dearest. This week, I'm covering one of the earliest reality shows, A&E's Growing Up Gaudy, starring Victoria Gaudy and her sons Carmine, John, and Frank. And maybe you're thinking, sorry, Growing Up Gaudy? Elise, what is it that you did during this month away? Lose your understanding of pop culture? Your triumphant return to this podcast is a three-season A&E reality show from 2004? You might scoff and say, this is not the gold standard for mob-adjacent New Jersey slash New York-centric reality TV. But can I tell you something? It, it totally is. No, really, growing up gaudy, it's a thing. Before Melissa Gorga was ever belting out that she was on display, on display, 
Little Kim was covering These Boots Are Made For Walking as this show's theme song and reminded us that Growing Up Gotti was actually the Victoria Gotti show. Before we deeply question Drita's intentions and undying love of a cuff-style bracelet on VH1's Mob Wives, Victoria Gotti was quietly alluding to her family's long and, mm, let's say, storied history. In Italian, La Cosa Nostra means our thing, and growing up Gotti is indeed our thing. By our, I mean anyone who is looking for a deep dive into the early days of reality TV. The type of people who not only remember there was a show called Gastineau Girls, but also know that Brittany Gastineau spells her name B-R-I-T-T-N-Y. Yes, no A, no E. And she now has a QVC clothing line. I'm calling upon that spirit, those long repressed or forgotten memories. Because without this show, let's be clear, Teresa Dudice? Judice? Okay, Teresa might never have gotten to flip a table on TV. And Big Ange might never have gotten the Miami Monkey spinoff focusing on her Miami bar called Miami Monkey. Rest in power, Big Ange. But simply put, I think growing up Gotti reinvigorated or created an interest in the lives of people who were involved with or adjacent to the mob. It's not like at the time we were all just going to watch Godfather 3 over and over again until we enjoyed it. And by 2004, when the show airs, it's been over a decade since My Cousin Vinny and Goodfellas had come out, okay? The Sopranos is on its fifth and second to last season. There is some cultural interest in the Mafia and La Cosa Nostra. And that interest continued, because even after Growing Up Gotti ended at the end of December 2005, Victoria would go on to appear on an episode of Bravo Real Housewives of New Jersey and VH1 Mobs Wives. She told Carson Kressley while he was guest hosting for Wendy Williams, which is like the most inane sentence I think I've ever actually uttered. But anyway, she told uh, Carson that she actually met Teresa during Celebrity Apprentice. They did not like each other at first. And then they realized they could be friends. That's mostly because they understood that anything Donald Trump touches has got to be fake AF. These are women who know how to use gold in interior design, and once they saw the Don's place, they were out. But you cannot fully understand the cultural impact that I feel growing up Gotti has unless you know who Victoria Gotti is. Despite her insistence that she's a New York girl with a celebrity gossip column for Star Magazine, she's about as much a Carrie Bradshaw as I am. Victoria Gotti, if you don't know, is the daughter of noted Italian-American mobster leader John Gotti. John is a Scorpio son, Virgo Moon, born on October 27, 1940, in New York, and he became a leader in the Gambino crime family. Blame it on his Venus and Libra, but John was known for his very over-the-top, very luxurious fashion sense, and his ability to be acquitted from numerous crimes he was accused of. Eventually, one of his co-workers, Sammy the Bull, teamed up with the FBI to convict John Gotti of... And this is a lot. Five murders, a conspiracy to commit murder, racketeering, obstruction of justice, tax evasion, illegal gambling, loan sharking, and extortion. The thing about John Gotti is he was beloved. It wasn't like he was always this really big rich guy. In fact, Victoria Gotti grew up quite poor, but he was beloved. They rejoiced when John Gotti was found not guilty. People came up in public to him to shake his hand, kiss his cheek. They wanted to be a part of his world. 
His actions arguably contributed to the eventual downfall of the Gambino crime family. But for many, many years, John Gotti's story was a rags-to-riches tale of a poor young boy in New York City who became a mafia don. So Victoria spent most of her life as the child of a famous family. In some circles. For people who have an interest in organized crime in America, John Gotti is a preeminent, notable name. And as a result, Victoria Gotti became the product of this weird nepotism in some circles, specifically on the East Coast. Her last name was infamous, but it also has a tinge of disgrace and darkness, sadness that surrounds it. It's kind of like being the child of a serial killer or something, right? People are equally fascinated and disturbed by you and your family history. And I feel for Victoria Gotti because I'm sure at some time in her life she felt gawked at because people knew exactly who her dad was and what he had done and not done. And that was a legacy she had no choice but to inherit. John Gotti, while we're here, is so infamous, so infamous, that even though I've told you a bunch of reality shows about why growing up Gotti is so culturally interesting, I have saved perhaps the most interesting connection for last. And that is a Bravo universe connection to John Gotti. Just just so you really get where I'm coming from. In 2018, none other than Randall Emmett from Vanderpump Rules, in my mind, he's Big Ed from 90 Day Fiance, but like Hollywood. He made a movie about John Gotti called Gotti or Gotti colon three generations. If you don't remember this movie, if you were like, wait a minute, we just got through the Megan Fox MGK of it all, do not fret because this film premiered in Hungary. And if you didn't already think that Randall might be like kind of sus, then you will when I tell you that Randall Emmett was considering casting one Lindsay Lohan to play Victoria Gotti in this movie, but they didn't do it. How could Randall rob us of this? First, he breaks up with Lala. And now we find out that this man is not only a serial cheater, but someone who passed up the opportunity to have Lindsay Lohan in his movie. Like, John Travolta was just going to carry the whole film? Like, we're still reeling from John Travolta in American Crime Story, the O.J. Simpson trial? Am I alone in this? Someone, please, email the podcast. But back to Victoria. Having that last name Gotti obviously opened some doors, but not everyone wants to work with you. Leading up to the Growing Up Gotti show, Victoria had mostly been known for her work as an author. If you love reality TV, then... You can't really be surprised when I tell you that Victoria is an author. Her books are eccentric, kind of an Uncle McGrimacy kind of vibe. She has four mystery novels, which feels very housewife adjacent to me. They're called The Senator's Daughter, I'll Be Watching You, Superstar, and Hot Italian Dish, the last of which was, was published in 2006. But Victoria's first publishing deal was for a more autobiographical book. It's called Women and Mitral Valve prolapse, which detailed her life with the somewhat rare heart condition. Can we, I'm just imagining, I'm just, hear me out. I'm imagining A&E executives discussing greenlining growing up Gotti. One says, this is a big win for us. We got a lot of crime shows. We have a lot of crime shows on the Miss Network. City Confidential, The First 48, Dog the Bounty Hunter. But a crime family? Boom, instant hit. Victoria Gotti is the godmother with three unruly teenage sons. TV gold. But the other producer says, wait, wait, Victoria Gotti? You mean Victoria Gotti, the lady who wrote 
women and mitral valve prolapse? Mitral valve prolapse, lady? Mitral valve prolapse, lady. Uh, you bet we got TV cult, okay? We gotta get her to sign on the dotted line. We don't have anyone on the crime shows, the home design shows, any show on this damn network that's got that kind of pull with people with cardiac issues. That's a key demo. And I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say it. We are fucked if we lose that mitral valve viewership to TLC. You heard me. Get her on the phone. Don't hang it up until we got a damn deal. That's like how I imagine it happened. Regardless of what actually happened, we're not going to know what that ha how it went down because it has seemingly been scrubbed from the internet. But growing up Gaudi premieres August 2nd, 2004. I used the original airtime of 9.30pm and the birthplace as Old Westerbury, New York, where the show was filmed at their house. The show, Growing Up Gaudy, is a Leo sun, Pisces rising, Pisces moon. With a moon in the first house, you can expect a certain amount of emotionality. In this case, it was the typical yelling at one another as the three Gaudy children, Carmine, John, and Frank, constantly fight over who used the other's hair gel. Or Victoria yelling at everyone because no one in this house, the three boys, or the two dogs who we are neverly form never formally introduced to, help her clean it. This comes into focus in the pilot episode when Victoria admits to the camera and any interested party that she would like to sell this house. I also need to use this time to admit that if you have ever found yourself watching Jersey Shore, arguably another show Growing Up Gotti helped create, and you started catching feelings for Polly D, Jim Tan Laundry, you need to watch these the three seasons of the show on Amazon Prime. They're 22-minute episodes. You're going to breeze through because all three of Victoria's sons have the same aesthetic. It, it's a trip. Now, to note, Victoria was 41 when the show aired, meaning she was in the final months of a sixth house perfection year, which is about work and employees, the latter of which is a huge focus of the show. Perhaps as almost essential as those side interviews where they, you know, have the characters on a reality show, like, sit somewhere else and talk about what's happening, is the reality TV trope of the useless and zany assistant. And on Growing Up Gaudy, we have several to choose from. Luigi, the cantankerous and eccentric handman who calls Victoria fat while he himself kind of looks like Ron Jeremy in a Bob Ross wig. Yeah, I don't watch the show and tell me if there's a better description, but that's kind of where I've landed. There's also Jeff, the driver, who has the same confidence and sense of purpose as Buster Bluth. And of course, we have Victoria's personal assistant, Jennifer, who is 100% unfiltered, pure Jersey 20-something energy with more camisoles than practical experience. Victoria spends time complaining about these wacky employees that are clearly being paid by A&E, but at the end of the day, of course, she can't imagine a life without them. In one episode, she and the gardeners she's hired go on a karaoke date. On another episode, her driver Jeff and her family friend, known only to the audience as Quack Quack, Agree to go on vacation to Miami with the Gaudis. It includes the usual fare, stretch humby limo, desperate attempts to log on to America online, and Victoria pranking her staff by threatening that her brother, the wink wink hitman, wink wink, won't kill them in the night after they allowed the boys to pants one another repeatedly at a hotel pool. Can I just say, the Kardashians never dreamt of such inane plot lines, like an assistant getting LASIK surgery and then making Victoria wait on them hand and foot. The surgery recovery descends into fighting when said assistant is given a vanilla cupcake, even though Victoria knows he doesn't handle vanilla. 
or when Victoria makes friends with a woman who's constantly being burglarized and refers to Victoria as Gloria. But this burglar leaves because... I'm sorry, this burglar... They break into this woman's home and leave other people's dentures. And it wears... The burglar, presumably a man, wears this woman's underwear. And after all of this is revealed to us, it's made clear that the woman Victoria slash Gloria is befriending is mostly upset that no one, not Victoria or the show crew, will eat the melon that she put out for guests. And it hurts her. It hurts her. Suffice to say that you know somewhere in the recesses of her Calabasas mansion, Chris Jenner watches old reality shows like this one for plot ideas, like she is a football coach studying another team's game reel. She is, undoubtedly, the Bill Belichick of reality TV stars. And by that I mean she is willing to go to any length for her team to be successful, whether it's lying, cheating, stealing, even faking a relationship with Pete Davidson. Okay, to be fair, the New England Patriots never faked a relationship with Pete Davidson. But can we just embrace Sag season for a minute and call a showmance when we see one? But back to Growing Up Gotti. The show has some Sagittarius vibes as well. Victoria herself is a Sagittarius, so her sun sign rules the 10th house of career and public image in the show's chart. And the show also focuses on her career at Star Magazine. One example of these 6th house, which is like your employees and work, and then 10th house, which is your career and public image, these plots involve perhaps one of the most early 2000 sentences I've ever uttered. And that is, one episode details Victoria being in a huge work meeting about which staff will be on Britney Watch when her assistant calls about the dinner party with Lizzie Grossman at Victoria's house that evening. That's right, let's break that down a little further like we're learning a new language. In that... We are at Star Magazine, early 2000s. We're on Britney Watch, Britney Spears, early 2000s. There's a personal assistant, peak early 2000s. And there's a dinner party with publicist and just general party girl, Lizzie Grossman. Ultimately, very 2000s. But producers also use the tactic of Victoria's career to have her write some interesting columns for the magazine. In one episode, she is set up with a celebrity matchmaker, and she goes on this date from hell. Her date tells her that she could be strikingly attractive, but is simply just attractive because she wears tight clothes and has a harsh energy. Luckily for us all, she reads him to filth, telling him that, quote, you're the kind of guy that's so sure of yourself, though I'm not sure why, and you're arrogant, and you say things before you think, stupid things about my kids, me. I can certainly understand why you've gone... How old are you? 60? 58? 58. And you're alone. And you're sitting there saying to yourself, what the hell would this girl want with me? Anybody sitting in this restaurant would be saying the same thing. What would this girl want with me? And the answer is nothing. It's like the showrunners were saying, we'll tell you Victoria's natal mercury wasn't Sagittarius without having to tell you her natal mercury wasn't Sagittarius. But she hasn't finished. Upon arriving home from the date, she offers the limo driver $1,000 to go pick her date back up and throw him in a ditch. You know how it is. Old habits die hard. I like to think that her father, the Teflon Don, Dapper Don, John Gotti, chuckled in heaven, ashed his cigar, and turned to the next person next to him saying, that guy's got it, and moved his pointer finger laterally across his neck. Oh, Victoria, don't you know one of those days? one of those threats is going to be actionable. 
It may come as no surprise to you that the birth chart of growing up Gotti pales, pales, pales in comparison to Victoria's birth chart. Like, duh. For example, despite having almost no Earth in her chart, Victoria describes herself as practical. To be fair, her aesthetic is simple to understand. Take anything you'd see at a Venetian casino in Las Vegas, but purchase those items in the brown shades that Pottery Barn has pioneered, and boom, baby, you're home. She does have that Sagittarius love of knowledge, saying that both a college education or a volume of encyclopedia would be a better gift. I wasn't able to find a birth time for Victoria Gotti. I know, hearts are breaking across the world. So I do not know her rising or any of her house placements. But I will say, even without a birth time, her chart is very interesting. Victoria is a Sagittarius sun and a Sagittarius moon. But she has some really intense aspects in her chart. Three that I want to talk about. And they are a Venus-Neptune conjunction a Jupiter-Uranus opposition, and a Sun-square-Jupiter. So a Venus-Neptune conjunction often tells us something about the relationships that the chart holder has, specifically with other people. Venus is very much our values and our relationships. With such a close conjunction, so for example, her Venus is in 12 degrees of Scorpio and her Neptune is in 14 degrees of Scorpio, it might be really hard for Victoria to differentiate how she imagines relationships to be, that's very Neptune, from how they actually are, the Venus of it, the real values and things that are happening. Many people have often wondered how it was that she did not know anything about her dad's mob life. Like, how is it possible that she just didn't remember that from childhood or didn't realize what was going on? She told E! News uh, when promoting her book about her life that it was not until her wedding day when she learned about her dad's mob ties. She said that she wondered, quote, why were there so many people lining the streets? Why are there so many people outside the church where it was standing room only? I wanted a Christmas wedding and it was December, but there were so many people outside. And it was people coming up to her dad throughout her wedding and kissing his ring and being aware that she started to think that her dad might just not be, you know, some guy who worked in sales or whatever it was that he told them because it did change. Um, it was gone a lot, but maybe there was a more, you know, dark uh, aspect to his professional life she wasn't privy to. The other thing with this placement we got to talk about is there is a tendency with Venus and Neptune being really close together that that Neptune fog can really cloud your understanding of where people are in the relationship. And it can be really easy for someone with this placement to get really into another person who's not available. Or you fall in love with the idea of something. Now, Venus-Neptune uh, conjunction could also make someone really creative and artistic. But I think in this chart, it's really about the relationships. It's about falling in love with someone who's not who you think they are, or there's an illusion to them, or just simply you want to love to be in love. On the first episode of the show, Victoria admits that her divorce was very hard on her, not because she missed being married to her ex-husband. Uh, in fact, she divorced him for something, basically a legal term that means it was intolerable to be in the marriage, and divorce was the only option. But she didn't divorce him because she really, like, missed 
him. She wanted to be with him and it didn't work out. She was upset because she had the idea of them growing old together and watching their kids grow up and just be a family. She does not miss the person that her ex-husband was. She misses some idealized, dreamy version of what their life together might have looked like. And I say this as another tangent, the millionth of this episode. If you are really interested in the outer planets and like relationship stuff, I'm going to tell you about a podcast I listened to recently that I would really recommend because it went through a bunch of different possible transits and it was very easy or aspects and it was very easy to understand. There is a podcast called The Astrology Podcast. It is like the best astrology podcast. That's why it gets to be named that. And they had an interview from 2016 with an astrologer named Kay Taylor, where they talk about the outer planets, Pluto, Uranus, and Neptune, and what it means in your chart if any of those planets make an aspect to your Venus. I cannot. I was enthralled. I'm a Uranus-Venus opposition person, and I was read to filth. Okay, Chugi Podcaster Move, I am linking this in the show notes if you need a little astro tea in your life. Victoria also has her Jupiter in four degrees of Pisces, opposing her Uranus in five degrees of Virgo. So this is that Jupiter-Uranus opposition. This is a placement that can mean that the chart holder is very independent. To her credit, Victoria Gotti was an author, as we know, and also a brief news anchor kind of position while she was married and raising her children. So I think the stereotype of like the mob wife is that they're taken care of and they don't ask where the money comes from. But Victoria Gotti has made her own money for a while. But more pointedly, and the dark part of this is that this can also be someone who is very rebellious themselves, or they're really drawn to or seek out dangerous or risky behavior from other people. And yes, on a fashion level, you could argue that given her small face shape, Victoria's insistence on having blunt bangs is probably less of an aesthetic vision and more that she's willing to do almost anything to beat Zoe Deschanel for the most consecutive years of having thick, straight bangs. This was a woman... Victoria Gotti, who had extensions longer than her ex-husband's list of charges. But this placement, what we really got to talk about with the Jupiter Uranus, is very much about that relationship with her ex-husband, Carmine Agnello. They had to sum it up basically a volatile dating relationship and got married against her parents' wishes. And when I say against their wishes, I'm saying that Carmine was violent toward Victoria and her family then retaliated by attacking him including shooting him in the butt. Yeah, I I just included that because it's just so weird. Carmine was also involved in the mafia, but he didn't have the John Gotti reputation becoming a John kind of thing. He felt like someone who's more muscle, just kind of a hothead. He was known as someone who destroyed police scooters and cars. He attacked an employee with a cell phone, and he picked physical fights often with police officers over parking tickets. I don't have Carmine's chart, but I get a sense that there's like a real temper, his terrible actions, and that those actions were not a complete surprise to Victoria. I think she wasn't maybe completely aware of how dysfunctional he was as a person. You know, I think some part of her thought he was dynamic or just a rebel In her book, she talks about the fact that they got married and she had only been living with her parents when they got married. She was like 22. She's pretty young. 1984. And they get married. They go to honey. Like the dad's like, this guy is not a good guy. I really don't think you should marry him. But if you're going to marry him, 
I want to help pay for the wedding because if you elope, I know I'll never see you again. So John Gotti was was a good, you know, intellect about people, that Scorpio's placements that he had. But Victoria's share is that after the wedding, they go on this Las Vegas honeymoon. And he says, oh, I want to gamble. I want to have some fun. And on the first night of her honeymoon, her new husband, Carmine, loses $30,000 from gambling. And she starts to see maybe what her dad didn't like was that he's kind of uh, impulsive. He's someone who doesn't have a lot of self-control. He engages in very risky behavior. And that the warning signs that her dad saw um, are definitely there. The final placement is her son, Jupiter Square. Victoria has her son in four degrees of Sagittarius, and that is squaring that Jupiter in four degrees of Pisces. This can be a placement where you are very confident, you're very optimistic. I mean, think about it. You have the sun, you have Jupiter, those are both ego, they're both self, they're in this, you know, square, which is a little tension, but maybe they're figuring it out. People with this placement can have kind of a charmed quality to their existence. I think some people with a sun square Jupiter, especially what else is going in the chart and what signs it's in, they could seem a lot luckier than other people. They might be those really irritating people who have huge dreams and then just somehow manage to accomplish them. They make it look easy and effortless. But there can also be that dark side of Jupiter in the sun. There's a dark side or a hidden side or a difficult side to any planet. And in this case... It's not just self. It's like too much ego, right? The Ju- Jupiter and the sun, like making a, tr- you know, an aspect with each other. It can make someone really arrogant. They can be overconfident. They can kind of have these blind spots because the sun and Jupiter are constantly communicating with one another. They might be prone to exaggeration. And indeed, the tale of the Gaudi family from the early 2000s, it starts fun with spiky hair and velour tracksuits and the Lizzie, you know, publicist dinners at her house. But it has a darker ending. Maybe Victoria had some spidey sense, her Venus and Scorpio, about wanting to sell her home. Maybe she knew in 2004 that it would have saved her some heartache in the long run. On the show, she desperately tries to distance herself from her husband's crimes, but it's a little conflicting because she still wants to keep her son's memory of their dad alive. And I think that tension of not being completely honest or blunt, we see that that she does it with other people, but she doesn't want to do that in her own family. It doesn't help her sons. It doesn't help them, like, create a new path for themselves away from the kinds of activities that her father and her ex-husband engaged in. There was a Growing Up Gaudy 2014 special that aired on A&E. It's not super important to this story, but the sons are now are much older. They live in their own homes. They have their own businesses. And two years later, in 2016, the Gotti family mansion was raided. It was part of a tax fraud investigation. And actually, the house that is on the show was the second home of the Gottis that was raided in a single month after Victoria's childhood home in Howard Beach was also searched by federal agents. It Now, the house that we saw on television sits unoccupied. And when this news broke in uh, 2016, There were a lot of speculation that her son, John, would be charged in addition to these tax evasion claims for various drug-related offenses and that those crimes were tied together. Now, if you are so inclined, there are several YouTube videos where random people walk the property. It's 
It's a very watered down Grey Gardens kind of vibe with a drained swimming pool and dead plants in lieu of raccoons and headscarves. That's kind of it for the Gotti family. I'm really glad to be back. Um, thank you so much for listening. Whether you are protesting this holiday of Thanksgiving because it is rooted in racism or colonial oppression, or you have now made plans to watch Growing Up Gotti because it's time to celebrate Sagittarius season, please remember that everyone and everything has a birth chart, but yours is a chart of fortune. Thank you for listening to Chart of Fortune. You can send questions, comments, and future episodes ideas to me at chartoffortune at gmail.com or say hey on my Instagram. My account is Chart of Fortune. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating and review. It helps other listeners find this podcast, and it makes me feel like the star my Leo Medheaven wishes it was. Also, if you send me a pic of your review via email or a DM, I will send you a glow-in-the-dark Chart of Fortune sticker. And now, because there's no better way to end the show, uh, little kid, you got the theme song? Perfect. Thanks so much. Bye! Yeah.